Today is January 24th, 2021. We are reading from the big book of AA, pages 72, having made our personal inventory to page 74, notwithstanding the great necessity. And these pages introduce us to the fifth step. Sharon W. will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Rachel W. from North Carolina. Sharon? Action. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we have done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled in discussing, our, in discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reason why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to, to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they've turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they had lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. More than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension that makes for more drinking. Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or per persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must, and of course will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. 
we often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. If we cannot or would rather not do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed mouthed understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. Notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan, but we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. Thank you, Sharon. And now I would like to introduce Rachel W who will share on what Sharon just read. Rachel. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Rachel W. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, uh, in the course of my disease, I have been all over the spectrum everywhere except compulsive exercising, but I have been bulimic. I have restricted, I have um, binged my face off. Um, I'm not sure if I was born a compulsive overeater. Um, I probably am. I think that I was just wired that way, but um, I remember it really, it really kicked off um, when ironically I was told that I was allergic to sugar in second grade. And um, it became this thing where, you know, I couldn't have the cake at birthday parties and it was, it became a symbol of really not belonging. And it was right around the age where I became aware, you know, I was starting to become socially aware that everyone else had some sort of um, manual. There was something that was happening socially with the other kids. And I was a little neuro, I mean, I was a lot neuroatypical, which was why they made me stop eating sugar. And, um, you know, that feeling of just dis-ease, um, I remember it being there from, from you know, that early um, second grade, first grade, something like that. And um, I started really using food around that age um, to feel better. And um, by the time I was in high school, um, I was uh, over eight, overweight. I was um, compulsively eating and restricting. So I would do the things where maybe I'd have nothing but a nutter butter. Uh, for breakfast and a baked potato for lunch, but then, you know, come home from school and chug an entire thing of orange juice and like an entire carafe of orange juice and, um, and go make thing upon thing upon thing. And, um, you know, I was raised with the, the, you know, so-called wisdom from um, a parent who um, has her own, her own issues with food that, you know, I could eat whatever I wanted and, and that would be okay. Um, as long as it was only for one meal. And um, so I didn't see a problem with my eating for a really long time. Um, became bulimic in college. Um, after a couple years of that, a lot of fear, um, winding up in the hospital thinking that I had done something to my insides. Um, that wasn't enough to get me to stop. Um, but you know, at, at that time I was able to cut back for a relationship I was early on and um, thought I was in recovery for a long time. And I won't go into a lot of that, but um, you know, over the next 10, 15 years, um, 
there were a lot of things in my life that I gave up so that I could eat, keep eating compulsively. I avoided uh, intimate relationships um, where there was any sort of commitment because I would have to be eating with them. And, um, and I could either control or enjoy my eating. And uh, the only way that I could remotely manage my weight was to basically be completely isolated um, and a workaholic and using all sorts of other things to try and control my appetite. And it was insanity. And um, I, discovered OA maybe two years after I white knuckled stopping purging and was grateful for just that little spiritual message. And I, I got maybe two, the idea of two steps and a, um, and a food plan and, um, and managed to get by with that thinking I was in recovery for another, um, 10 years. And it wasn't until I was in a relationship and I would say things like, Okay, well, you know, just don't ever surprise me with a donut because I, I don't, I can't say no to a donut, and um, you know, I'll, I'll just do that immediately. Um, I'll just go for it, um, and then you know, uh, or I'm not eating pizza. If we're ever going to be at a party with pizza, let me know so I can psych myself up. And then in the next sentence, asking to go to an Italian restaurant that serves only pizza and maybe a side salad, and I don't eat side salads, um, you know. And he finally was just like, I want to be supportive, but I don't know how the rules are always changing. And I just realized that, you know, the insanity that I was putting on him and our relationship, I, I realized I still had a problem and I went back to OA. Um, and it took me a little while to get abstinent. I didn't encounter the big book right away. I didn't encounter this, this message right away. I didn't encounter knowledge of the allergy or the obsession. So first I tried giving up my binge foods and, um, you know, got a little bit of a result and, um, but wasn't able to keep it down really until I, until I discovered this book and really understood what it was to have the allergy. And I can't say that I even understood the obsession at that point. Um, I think it took me a while to really wrap my head around the fact that my powerlessness does not stop when I'm on a food plan that avoids my allergies. My powerlessness actually starts then. And um, today's reading is about step five. And I really think step five has a lot to do with why um, I couldn't hold on to my recovery in this program for a really long time. Um, I originally worked the steps and I started making amends and I really experienced a lot of freedom and I even experienced some neutrality. Um, my sensitivities might've changed or I got more honest. Um, it turns out I, I needed to um, be honest with myself about some additional ingredients that were problematic for me. But the real problem was, was that I didn't finish my housekeeping. And you know, it says here that the best reason why I've got to tell somebody what's going on in my life and what I've done and um, how I'm living. I have to not only do a solitary self-appraisal, but I've got to talk to someone else about how I am living my life. I need somebody else to help me see through the lies that I'm telling myself. And I need to do that because I'm going to die. Like it, it's a death threat here. If I don't, I'm not gonna overcome binging and compulsive overeating. Um, and so, um, you know, I was, I am one of my, one of my defects, my selfishness shows up as arrogance. I always think that I know everything and I had studied the book. I had been to big book studies. I could tell you everything. I mean, my story could be titled how I can know everything and still not recover. Um, and step five, um, step five, I think the real, the real piece of step five that speaks to me here is when it says that the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much an actor. 
To the outer world, he presents his stage character. Um, this is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. And that is probably the root of most of my spiritual malady as it shows up in my life today. So I can know these things about myself um, or I can think that I do. But here's the thing, I walked out, I've walked through my entire life with a high degree of accomplishment and a really huge imposter complex. And part of that imposter complex was because I believed that people were just responding to my shiny or my charisma or my, you know, just in the moment creativity or, and that I had somehow blinded you all to the fact that I didn't deserve to be there. But you know what the reason was that I rarely, I rarely finished projects. You know, I actually rarely did keep my commitments and somehow I got away with it again and again. And I got to the next level of accomplishment professionally. And, um, and I knew that I didn't have the time management skills. I knew that I didn't have the integrity and I knew that I didn't have the character to live up to the things that were increasingly being put on my plate. And from the outside, I had a name that was known in my profession and, um, and a lot of you know, increasing things to support my ego and just a feeling that it could fall apart at any second. And every day that I spent committing to something and procrastinating and not doing the thing that I had committed to doing, what that was for me is that made for constant fear and tension. And that constant fear and tension made for constant hunger and a constant need to eat. And there were other ways that I wasn't living up to the ideals that I was able to discover by doing a fourth step, by doing a fifth step, by telling somebody else, I was able to um, really see the truth about how I was living. Um, and I did a number of fifth steps. I'm a big fan of doing multiple fifth steps with, with a fourth step. I get something different. Um, my, first, uh, my first time through the steps, I switched sponsors and then a, another person had also um, heard my inventory in sort of an emergency context. And so I got a couple different perspectives on that first inventory and I learned something a little different. God chose to, to reveal to me something about myself a little different through each of those persons. The other thing that's been interesting to me is that until this recent fifth step, I went into my fifth step feeling like I knew everything already. Like I did my fourth step really thoroughly. I could see my selfishness, my dishonesty, my self-seeking and my fear. And it wasn't until this final time where in the context of recovery, I was slipping back into the food. Um, and the reason was because I wasn't living in integrity. I still wasn't living in integrity. And there was an area of my life, and that's my work area, where I didn't have access to power. And what I want to tell you is that step five, really steps four through nine are, if you're experiencing anything in your life right now where you don't have access to power, this is an incredible step for getting that. For the first time in my life, I had a problem that I really didn't think I could understand or solve. I didn't know why I couldn't just show up for work. You know, I didn't know why I couldn't just do these things, right? So I did a fourth step and I did a fifth step and I had a sponsor who was really, really able to uncover. And I don't know why I didn't see this in the first couple ones that what I thought was, you know, self-sabotage was really theft. It was theft of time and money from my employers and my collaborators. It was harming others. And I really needed to see it that way. Um, and I needed to see the, the, the lies that I was telling myself about things that happened in relationships. Um, I could see where I was selfish and dishonest, but there were pieces of that puzzle that I couldn't see. And there's something, you know, I hadn't learned enough of humility, like it says here. I hadn't really lost my egoism and fear. And I think that 
one indicator that maybe, just maybe I was about to do that this recent time is I came into my fifth step saying, I have a problem I can't solve. And, and, you know, you'd think that I did that with food, but I have to tell you, I understood the allergy. So I thought that I, I, you know, for, for a while, I really thought that I understood what I needed to do with food. And, And that was simple. That was follow the instructions in this book, you know, and I'd gotten results like that before, but there were some things that I just needed God's power in my life for. I'd already gotten God's power with the food I'd recovered. It was amazing. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to hold on to it if I couldn't live in integrity and I couldn't seem to get past this area of my life where I didn't have any power. Um, this is really where my current experience is. And um, so, you know, any day that I am not doing what I need to be doing in my program, in my relationships, in my work, you know, I start experiencing that fear and tension. I do a fifth step. It's in the form of a 10th step, which is just four through nine in the context of recovery. I write it down. I see it. I tell somebody else that I'm doing that thing again. Um, And if there's some lie or if there's some bit of dishonesty and usually, you know, it's fear. Why am I not doing that thing? I'm not doing that thing because of fear. And when I do my fear inventory with my sponsor in a fifth step, I learn a lot. I learned that I have always been trying to do things to eliminate my fear. And what I learned in the fifth step is that it's not about what you do to get rid of the fear. It's about what you be to get rid of the fear. You know, what, what, what do I need to be? And basically what I learn is that love and trust and humility and patience. Well, I don't really have the power to have patience, but, but at least presence, I can at least be present in a situation um, and selflessness and giving what I need to get. And Um, And that when I inhabit the state, fear is absolutely no match for it. And I learned in my fear inventory when I was not just writing it, but, you know, part of what I talked about in my fifth step, we talked about the things that I did to try and manage those fears. And those were the things that were causing the chaos. And those were the things that I had to escape from. And those were the things that were causing the feelings that were disconnecting me even more to God. And that's really what the fifth step is about here. You know, it is about discovering, uncovering the things that are blocking us. That is really why we need somebody who is a compulsive overeater and has a spiritual malady like we do to hear it. They have to be able to understand what we're driving at. I need someone who's not gonna try to change our plan when it says that. I need somebody who's not gonna tell me, you know what, it's not so bad. Everybody does this. You know, be a little easier on yourself. Like the book is very clear. Um, We must be hard on ourselves, but considerate of others. And we don't share our inventory with anybody who may be emotionally invested or have complicated feelings about what we're sharing. And that's why it's a sponsor. That's why I don't do that. It doesn't matter if my husband is in program, I'm not going to do it with him. And I'm not going to do it with a family member. I'm going to do it with somebody whose job it is to compassionately tell me the truth. And the fifth step is not about uncovering anything that's shameful in myself. You know, that's the fears that, you know, I'll, um, saying out loud who I really am, that it won't be okay. I guarantee you, your sponsor has done what you've done. You know, I find in program, it's funny, um, uh, having sponsors with really old sponsors. It's like the older sponsors have trouble staying awake during fifth steps. Sometimes they've heard it all, but, um, but I can, here, you know, I'm not honest with doctors. I can manipulate therapists. Hell, I could be my own therapist. I think I understand myself so well, 
but I need somebody else to poke holes in the places where my logic is self-serving and where I'm not acknowledging harm that I am doing to somebody else. Um, and being hard on myself, but considerate of others, it's not really being hard on me because who I am is not my personality. You know, who I am is not this collection of character defects. That's my ego. My personality and my ego are, I really believe the, the clothes that I am wearing through this life and that who I really am is that spark of the divine that is in union with my higher power, that great reality that's deep inside of me. And that's what I got to experience. And the first time I experienced that was after a fifth step. You know, these fifth step promises you're gonna hear about next week, they come true. And they come true because there is a lightness, truth. You uncover the truth in your fifth step. And the truth is really just a thousand and one ways my very well-intentioned ego has been trying to kill me. Not a thousand and one ways I'm a terrible person. It's a thousand and one ways my ego, which responds to the feeling of fear and these instincts um, and what it does. And my particular um, ego and my particular defense mechanisms are avoidance. And it's okay that they're there. I don't have to change them. This is the other thing that I understand when I do a fifth step is that I can't change them. I look at my self-reliance when I look at my fear inventory with a, with a sponsor. I look at the way that it's affected these things. I look at what I've tried to do in relationships. And the one thing that's abundantly clear to me when I'm sharing this to someone else is that I don't have the power to change any of this. Um, but what I have the power is to see the truth. And it really is true. The truth will set you free. First, it will piss you off. That was Miriam Williamson quote, I believe. Um, but there's a lightness. It, it, you'd think that you'd feel terrible shame, um, but there's a lightness in the truth because what you see is that it's not up to you and it is what it is. And in that moment where you see the truth, if you have done a fifth step thoroughly, I can tell you from my experience, I was entirely ready, entirely ready to have God remove all those things. I am entirely ready for step six and I am entirely ready to take step seven and ask in that moment that it be released. And I am entirely willing to make all these things right because I don't want to live like this anymore. You know, I don't want to live in a way where, um, where I am presenting to the world something that isn't who I am. And the result of step five in doing this thoroughly, I have had miracles in the last couple of weeks where I don't feel like an imposter. I just had something put on my plate an, an invitation. And really this is God, because I didn't ask for this opportunity. This was put on my plate and I didn't have fear that I wasn't going to be able to live up to it. And the miracle was I was working with my team and being honest when I was either dropping a ball or coming a little bit close, letting other people pick up the slack, letting other people see my work before it was perfect, before it was even good enough for anybody to see what an imposter I really am. And, um, and, and I showed up and I know that that wasn't me. The ideas came through me and I was there for them. And they asked me to, at the end of this process, they actually asked me to lead the project. And that's not the remarkable part. The remarkable part is that I had this feeling of, oh my God, I'm not an imposter. Like, yeah, I can do this. Like, this is actually something that I am suited for. That is not a thought I've ever had. I wasn't thinking, how am I going to fool them? Or surely they must be thinking I'm someone else. Like I actually felt comfortable. And, and even more so in this area and work with other people, I was comfortable entirely being myself. That is a gift of this program is that I can show up 
being mean, not just with people in program anymore, but also with work, also with relationships, because the way that I'm living on the outside is thoroughly consistent with who I am on the inside. And the more that I am letting God come through my life and the more that I am being of service and the more that I am following the exact instructions in this book to get access to power, the more power I have. And so, you know, I relapsed after um, being back in OA and really working these steps out of the book because I didn't finish my amends. And lo and behold, the amends I hadn't finished. I had actually made an amend. I had committed to doing something in that amend in a work context to a former boss and didn't do it. And sure enough, I started feeling sick and I started feeling that tension. And it was really only a matter of time before I accidentally tasted something of, from the batch that had sugar in it when I was making two batches, which previously I'd been able to do with complete neutrality. And this is what I've learned. I have to keep my house clean. You know, I take step five so that I find out what the truth is about I'm, how I'm living. And I tell somebody when these things crop up every single day so that I don't lose touch with that truth. And I address my fears every single day. Step five is a step that I do. You know, that's a lie. I don't do it every single day. I don't do 10 steps every single day. Good days, I do 10 steps every single day. Free days, I do 10 steps every single day. And of course, there are some days where I just have no resentment. Everything's in flow. I'm showing up. God is with me. I'm in service and I and I and nothing comes up. But, um, but what I have learned in the past couple months, especially, is I have increased my 10 steps exponentially and the quality at, of my recovery has increased exponentially since I have started actually involving my fellows in discussing my defects, because here's what I want you guys to think. I want you guys to think that I have it together, that I'm recovered, that I have this great program. And I don't want to tell you that I'm having petty thoughts. I don't want to tell you about the thing that I just did with my ex-husband and what was I thinking? You know what? Because I am an alcoholic in the food. And, um, and I don't want, you know, I don't necessarily want my sponsors to know, you know, the, the ways and the areas in which I don't have access to power. But when I do, and you know what, I, I, I have made a practice of being more honest, not just with, with my fellows, but with my sponsees and my, my everyone in here. When I can, that is my losing my egoism and fear. When I am, I am humbling myself, when I am willing to let you see that my recovery isn't perfect and who I am is so far from perfect. And I um, haven't deserved at points in my life by action. I haven't earned, I haven't earned some of the things that I have, but I, but I get to live in a way today where I am earning them. And as a result, I get peace and coupled with complete abstinence was the other thing that I didn't do the first time I tried doing these things and there was still an allergic ingredient in my food. And, you know, that's blocking me off from God. And what this process is, is at every step, I get more and more unblocked from God. And I have to do being willing to go to any lengths, being able to sh willing to share anything with anybody is, um, is how I get unblocked. And there's a line in here, um, you know, we think well before choosing this person or persons. And yeah, you can do it with multiple people in program, but but there's a more general truth to this, which is that I've discovered since really working the steps in this program that I reveal myself much more comfortably to many, many more people. And in program, but you know, also outside of program too. The longer I'm in program, the more, um, the more I can even be authentically myself with the normies. And the more people you reveal who you really are, 
to my experiences, the more free I've gotten. And I can only do that when I really feel like I'm living in integrity. And I can only do that when I'm living from a place of of love. And I feel like, um, what's my time? You're, well, you're, just, you're, you're over, Rachel. You're, oh, yeah, a little, just a little. Oh, goodness. Sorry. I was expecting a time cue. Um, oh, sorry. No, no, that's all right. That's all right. Um, so, um, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's so worth it. Um, recovery is so worth it. And thank you all for letting me share. Wow. Thank you, Rachel. I have goosebumps. Your little time over was fine. Uh, thanks for your share. For those who came late, we read pages 72 to 74, which was an introduction to the big step in the big book. Now's the time.